You got to know where this guy at at all times. There he is again. How about three in a row? Oh, going down. That was cold. What another three? No. March 1st, high-volume shooter. Now, you ever notice when you crack open a food container, it don't matter what it is, that first whiff always smell like ass, right? Like lunch meats are the worst, right? You open up some old, woo, right? But like last night, I opened up a jar of cookies. The hell? I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. I digress. I digress. This is a basketball podcast. Um, Let's start with Brooklyn in Philadelphia, the aftermaths of the trade, right? News comes out, the city of New York is going to remove the vaccination mandate. And for a few hours, it sounded like, well, Kyrie is going to be able to play home games. And then it was like, no, 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 not so fast, not so fast. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I understand all these rules and regulations and how they're logical. But because the Nets are a private sector that mandate still holds, and the bottom line is it sounds like Kyrie's not going to be able to play at home. He can be in the arena, but he cannot play, so I don't know. But what I did want to talk about was him going into Milwaukee, the defending champs, and cooking them in the fourth quarter and beating them without Durant and, of course, without Ben Simmons. Everybody's given the Bucks a pass this year because they're the defending champs, right? Myself included. Like, well, they'll get it together. They'll get it together. They're waiting on Lopez and they've made some moves here. They brought in Serge. But there's like 20 games to go, right? I think it's time to acknowledge that this Bucks team is not who they were last year, specifically on the defensive end. One of my favorite sayings through the Warriors dynasty with KD was, you can't simulate hunger. Because Giannis, the first thing he said at that championship parade was like, oh, I'm not happy. I'm still hungry. I want more. And that's cool. I believe Giannis, but I don't believe his teammates. Now, they've had injury issues, but they're just not the same. I don't think that they should be held as as the defending champion favorites at this stage here with just 20 games to go. But I want to flip back to the Brooklyn side of things. They get the win in Milwaukee on the back of Kyrie. You see Ben Simmons and KD. KD's, I guess, going to come back this week, right? But you see Ben Simmons over there celebrating on the bench. And then this news comes out that's really just alarming. Ben Simmons is out of shape and is having back issues, so he can't even practice. I think we all assumed at the very least this motherfucker was staying in shape. Like, what else are you doing? Meanwhile, 34, 35-year-old Gordon Drogic is ready to play. He hasn't played all year long, but he stayed ready. And this is just a huge red flag. You, you guys know my stance on this. I felt like Brooklyn significantly won this trade. Well, the first week or two after, it certainly doesn't look that way. And again, the fact that he isn't in shape. Now, there is a conspiracy that he's just ducking the Sixers matchup March 10th, which would honestly be better than the fact that if he's out of shape and he's really having back issues because Ben Simmons, could he be the biggest waste of talent of this generation? The Derek Coleman of this era. Now, it's too soon to say obviously, right? But, you know, this is just an alarming thing here. I, I, I think we all assumed, all right, you know, you give him a, a 10, 15 days to get acclimated and, and in, in game shape and get him out there. Now this seems, huh, I wouldn't be surprised if Ben doesn't play this year, man. This, it, I'll tell you what, man, this dude, this dude is just holding L after L. Meanwhile, in Philadelphia, Harden and Joel are taking victory laps after two games. 
they're taking fucking victory laps. <laughs> Man, um, let the foul ball era begin, though, right? You saw in the first game, Minnesota, what they shoot? 36 free throws combined on that Friday night. And of course, of course, Harden looks active on defense. He's running the floor. He's got a pep in his step. Talk to me in May, though. There was a report that Embiid, he really wanted Bradley Beal. And I had said so. Like, that seems like much more of a fit for him, right? Did you see the clip after the first win where Embiid chugged that water bottle? To me, that was a little sign that he's just, he's not all the way comfortable with this dude. I think Embiid's smart enough to know in the back of his mind, like, (sighs) that chugging of that water bottle, it was so weird and awkward. And to me, that was a little sign that he's uncomfortable with this cat. Then you saw the other clip of Danny Green not inbounding the ball to Harden. Like, nah, bro, you don't need to touch the ball every time. (laughs) But, um, But I will say this, you know, if Joel is willing to be pal to Harden's Kobe, Right. And, and kind of let this be the Harden show right or wrong. You know, then it, it that pick and roll is nasty. And, and the one thing that I didn't realize until I saw it was their timing and rhythm is very similar. Harden and, and beads. Right. They both like to play at a slow stop and go rhythm. And so I think that that automatically kind of sunk them up in that pick and roll. Joel's not really rolling. He kind of he kind of floats, pops into the mid, and then and then attacks from there because that's where he's comfortable anyway. So it looks good, man. You know, like, Philly fans should be optimistic after two games. But, uh, you know, again, there's, there's going to be a honeymoon phase here. The one thing that we know about Joel is he loves the spotlight. It's his team, Philly fame. Like, if Harden starts putting up these monster numbers and the attention kind of goes to Harden and away from Embiid, who's in the midst of this MVP campaign, our feeling's going to be caught right I'm just I'm very interesting to see the the dynamic and chemistry of this team moving forward but hey my hat's off to him the pick and roll that you know schematically the offense it's nasty and then the other thing that I'll add is Tyrese Maxey as a weak side creator as a secondary creator the ball gets swung if Tyrese Maxey's just standing on the weak side and guys are having to close out at him you know that's nasty his float game his ability to get get to the rim and you know shoots it well enough so we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, man, it looks good for them. I got a hot take for you, though. I'm going to jump around the league here before we get into mostly Warriors talk. Anthony Simons. Ant Simons. Saw him against the Warriors last week. My hot take is he could end up better than Dame Lillard. Now, would he be the player he is today without being around Dame every day for the last couple years? Probably not. I understand that. Here's my sales pitch. Obviously, he's more physically gifted, right? He's just a bigger, longer, more athletic guy. But he also is able to score without pounding the ball, right? Like, we've seen Dame struggle with blitzing traps his whole career, right? Like, that's the MO on Dame in the playoffs. Oh, you just send a a high blitzing trap at him, and and it's just he doesn't really want to move the ball, right? He's a hesitant passer. He tries to split it, and and it, it messes with him. And then I watched Simons the other night against the Warriors quickly defeat and deflate our trap by just quickly and more importantly willingly moving the ball and so you look at his frame and his athleticism right And you say okay he can and should be a better defender the shot's pure he's a three-level scorer and then the ability to move off the ball and create gravity that way again something that dame to this point has never been really willing to do right he just stands still and so 
the Simons kid, he just seems like he's going to be more dynamic of an offensive player to go along with more physical attributes. Now, he's got a long way to go to get out of Dame's shadow in Portland. I understand that. But again, it's a hot take. But Simons, I think he's got a real shot to be a special, true franchise player. I'll tell you what, he's the player that everybody's making Halliburton out to be. Like ever since this Halliburton trade and everybody's losing their mind, I can't believe you trade Tyrese Halliburton. No, Simons is the guy that a lot of people are trying to make Halliburton out to be, at least in my eyes. Very impressed with that young kid. The Lakers, an absolute shambles. And it's getting ugly, right? We, I talked about it last episode and Clutch and Palenka. And it, it's getting really bad, man. And let's just say, hypothetically, that the Lakers were like, all right, let's trade LeBron. Let's get something. Let's just tear this all down. You know, we all know the catch when you're trading a superstar is they'll, they'll block. You, you can't really just trade them anywhere, right? They give you a list of teams and then you have to work within those, those restraints. And it really limits the value you can get back. But I was thinking about, you know, what LeBron's been talking about with Bronny. You know, what if that opens up the market for LeBron, where some of these less desirable teams or destinations could possibly trade for LeBron and then just sign Bronny outright and say, listen, we'll just put him in our G League and he'll never play a minute of college ball. We'll just bring him in. We'll bring him into our system. Wait till he's age eligible and he'll be part of the team. And so, yeah, you're happy here in, in wherever, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't have to be some big market because, oh, we've got your son that we're going to develop and you can play with him and finish it out. Maybe it's a reach here, but I'm just thinking that that might just open up more of the league able to trade for LeBron. Now, would you want to do that? What would be the benefits of that? I don't know. I don't know. It's just a thought. Other news around. Did you, did you hear this De'Aaron Fox NFT bullshit? He, uh, he started a, a, an NFT and made all these promises, generated uh, $1.4 million in, in sales or however that works, right? And then just completely pulled the carpet out and said, oh, I can't do this. Sorry. I got to focus on, on my basketball. I think what it does is it, it gives you insight to who this kid is. That's some bullshit right there. You, he just signed a $140 million contract and you can't kick back that million dollars that you jacked from these people. Give that the fuck back, bro. What you, you are, <laughs> That's nasty. That's nasty stuff right there from De'Aaron Fox. So I'm watching Bulls Grizz the other night. Jaw goes off 46 points, and I get it. He is one of the more inevitable forces in this league. I understand that. But Vucevic, Vucevic is an imposter. The thing with Vucevic was to make up for his lack of defense, right, and rim protection, he was supposed to be able to spread the floor, right? That was the give and take. Like, all right, Vuce, he can't really protect the rim. He's not a good defender, but he can spread the floor. He's a, he's a spacer. It's just one of those classic cases of phony numbers, right? Because he shot 40% from three in Orlando where no shot really mattered, right? There, it, it, there was no pressure. And now in Chicago where there is some pressure, he's gone to 30%. Pressure bust pipes, man. Dude's an imposter. Look, I'm not saying he's a complete bum. He's thought of as a star. He's paid like a star. He made the all-star game. And so in that sense, like, nah, man, he ain't, he ain't nowhere near that. And you see Chicago struggle against all these other contenders. But let's get back to Ja Morant. Let's get back to Ja. No one really has the recipe to slow him down. But I know one key ingredient, right? Like you got to have some sort of rim protection. If you don't have any type of rim protection, he's just going to get there at will. And now he's going to start styling on you, right? If you don't have a legit shot blocker waiting at the rim, he does what he wants. And then last night, San Antonio, I guess you could say, has Jakob Pertl in there. And he still did what he wants. What do you have, 52? 
career high, man. Most impressive thing about that was dude scored 52 on four free throw attempts. Let me ask you this. If Memphis finishes with the second best record in the league, which it looks like they probably will, can he steal the MVP? Can Ja win the MVP? I, I keep seeing these stats of comparing him in his third year to Derrick Rose in his third year, and his numbers are better. What better story would it be? The NBA would love it. He's so marketable, and I think he's a fresh new star, right? We've all kind of focused on the two centers, Jokic and Embiid, and who those are the two MVP guys, but I think lingering in the background of this story is it could be Devin Booker or Ja in these final 20 games. If they can really explode, Booker obviously with more opportunity with Chris Paul out, and Jaw, if they keep winning and he keeps having these huge monstrous games, these loud performances, I could see Jaw stealing this MVP. Let's talk about it, man. The Warriors blow a 21-point lead at home against the Mavs. Dub Nation, you already know, they're, they're going to blame Steve Kerr for it, right? And specifically, the Steph minutes, the Steph rotation. I get it. It's a hot topic. It's been all year. Um... And I'm not saying Kerr shouldn't get some blame here, but for me personally, if we're going to talk about minutes and rotation, let's talk about Bielitsa. Yesterday's breakdown, go check it out on my Patreon. I came up with a term called the belly butterfly effect. Now, you have to understand, it's in part tongue-in-cheek. I'm scapegoating Bielitsa. Yes, I understand that. But the real point is, he hurts us in all these little ways that add up to bigger problems, right? And, you know, the constant blow-bys are obvious, and it gives the other team offensive momentum. But a smoked layup here, a mishandled ball there, his sloppiness and mistakes flip the momentum every time he touches the floor, right? And, and, and I know a lot of people will say, well, listen, you can't blame Belly. You know, he's a veteran minimum role player. You know, you can't blame that guy. But I'd say this, for such a small role, he has too big of a negative impact. He puts us behind the eight ball every time he steps on the floor. Meanwhile, Jordan Poole can only play 19 minutes because he's got to do better. Jordan Poole's got to play better, right? But Bally's rotation, it's solidified. That's the bigger picture problem with the minutes in the rotation. Now, I'm sure most of you have heard or read the Athletic Boys take, right? They're certainly the most tapped into the team when it comes to, to access, right? And the story goes, they're giving Jordan Poole tough love, right? They're holding him to a higher standard. He, he doesn't get the start with Clay out. He comes out with an attitude. He doesn't really produce, right? And you kept hearing Tim say, well, if they lose him, if they lose him, it'll be a big mistake. Meaning if he stops playing well, if he stops producing, not lose him to another team, but like if they lose him with this type of uh, motivational method, right? This tough love method. But here's the thing. I think in part why they're doing this is because they know they won't lose him. They know who Jordan Poole is. He's not built like that. He's the type of dude that's going to use this as fuel. But at the same time, just because you can do it to him doesn't mean you should. That's the problem. Now, Clay is going to be out again tonight against Minnesota. I predict he gets the start and goes off and the storyline will die down a bit. But, uh, you know, you, you see this in all levels of hoops, right? A player is being held to a higher standard than some of the other players, and they can't handle it, right or wrong. To me, 
the message has to be delivered very specifically. If the communication isn't strong as to why you're being held to a higher standard, that's when it goes south. And then I heard Marcus Thompson, you know, kind of, they're trying to explain Poole's, Poole's side of things. And he's like, well, he's looking at Bialica and Juan T and these other guys. And he's thinking, well, they're not producing, they're not defending that well. And, and yet they're not being held to this high standard. I don't think that's who Jordan Poole is looking at. Jordan Poole is looking at Wiggins. It's very clear. It's not, it's not these other bench role players. He gets it. He, he's more talented than them. It's Wiggins. I think Poole is saying to himself, okay, you're telling me I'm being held to a higher standard because of my talent and my potential. What about Andrew Wiggins? Should he not be held to the same standard? I was tagged on Twitter with, a, with a, uh, some guy that was, was talking about Wiggins' defense and his stats on Luka. You know, and, and that's the problem when you only use stats. You know, you can use stats to justify anything. And I guess he guarded him on seven or eight official possessions yesterday where, you know, he was one of seven or something like that. But it's not just that. What about the team defense? What about the rotations? Again, you can go check my breakdown. I pointed out several really lackluster efforts from Andrew Wiggins. So we know he's a really strong on-ball defender, but there's other areas of, of the defense where he's fallen off really since Draymond's been out. And that, that's no surprise that he's not the only one, right? But the point really is that Wiggins, I think we can all agree, hasn't been playing well the last month and a half or so, really, again, since Draymond's been out. But Kerr, he's not going to give him the tough love treatment. You could say, well, he's more established of a player or perhaps, well, we just can't afford to. We need him out there, right? Those are valid points. But I'd also argue it's because Wiggins ain't built like that. That you can't break pool, right? We, we, we've seen his mentality, but Wiggins, he's like, you know, it kind of, it's like they almost handle him with kitty gloves, right? And so that's the confusing message, I think, if you're Jordan Poole. But that's my take on it. So I, I think that, you know, again, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. And if you're going to do it, it, it has to be communicated very well. If you want to put on your tinfoil cap, though, are they holding pool back from a payday? Are they limiting his productivity because they don't want some team to throw like a poison pill contract at him? I know it sounds like a reach, but I've seen it before. I've seen it before. Just ask Gilbert Arenas. Most likely that, that's a reach, right? It's not happening. But you think that's crossed Jordan Poole's mind? You don't think Poole, who's fighting for a big contract here, is like, man, now they're docking my minutes here? I came out the gates wild, starting for Clay, and now they're pulling back my production? You're telling me that hasn't crossed his mind, man? Again, communication is the key. But overall, you know, you have a couple bad losses like this. And I know what they two and seven in their last nine or something. So yeah, they, it's been a losing streak. But you have to step back and look at the big picture. We're really missing four of our top eight players. And again, I don't want to absolve Kerr from this. He deserves some blame. You know, one of his mentors and someone that he played under, obviously, in Phil Jackson, was so good at managing the emotions of the game. I read all of Phil's books, and that was one point that he always hammered home was, don't coach the score, coach the emotion of the game. And Kerr, for someone who has such a high emotional IQ, he seems to be lacking in that area. And I think if he coached the emotion of the game and the momentum swings, I think that that would in turn fix some of these rotations in the minutes right? Because he, he's so rigid. He wants to do this. He wants to throw these role players a bone and make sure everybody's engaged and involved. No, just coach the momentum of the game. 
Coach the 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 emotion of the game. There's an 8-0 run. Bielitz is getting killed. Get him the fuck out. Right? Never mind. Oh, well, we need him to have 12 minutes. Like, nah. And that would be my advice to Kerr as far as these minutes and these rotations. The positive is he's smart enough to remain dynamic. He, I don't think he's going to stay rigid in it. I don't know. I don't know. I know someone will say, no, that's not true, Alc. But yeah, that that that's my take on, on, on the Kerr coaching in those minutes. Um, but, you know, so today is the final day to solidify your playoff roster if they wanted to waive somebody and pick somebody up off the buyout market. And it doesn't look like they they will. I think I talked about this a little bit in the last podcast where, you know, your strength is your weakness. And everybody talks about the, the Warriors culture and it's a family and that strength. But at the same time, it seems like they hold on to these guys on the end of the roster. And I'm not even talking about D. Lee and, and le- legit family. I'm just saying it's like they become attached to these guys. They overvalue the the characters in the locker room at the end of the roster. Meanwhile, you've got Denver signing Boogie Cousins because they need another big. You got Phoenix swapping guys in left and right at the end of their roster. Every time I turn them on, they've got a new player at the end of their roster. I'm not talking about these core guys. And so it just, I don't know. I, I feel like that that may be a misstep. Maybe I'm speaking too soon. Maybe I'll get done recording this and hear that we've signed some big and we've waived one of these guys, but not likely. And you, you also see how much they've spent on this new development staff. And I love what they've done. Bringing in all these smart minds and coaches, don't get me wrong, but I think the danger in that might be trying to polish turds. And obviously, I'm not talking about Kaminga or, or any of the draft picks, really, but you look at like Chioza, Juan T, and some of these guys on the end of the roster, my fear is they may hold on to some of these guys, these fringe guys, too long thinking, well, we've got the best development staff in basketball. But ultimately, it's a talent-driven game. You can't teach talent. Again, yeah, I'm just, I like what they've done with the staff and development because we have all these young guys. But again, there's a threat that they think they can overcoach some of these guys up and they hold on to them too long. And again, maybe some of it's the culture. They love the Juan T story. Obviously, the D. Lee thing. And it's just, I don't know, man. You can't get attached to your role players. Really, I'd say you can't get attached to any player. But I get it with the core four. But some of these fringe guys, like why? The, the, the Bielitsa thing, it just really irritates me. And that's why I've been so aggressive as far as shitting on them in my breakdowns. You know, uh, shout out Chip and some of, some of my other patrons. They're like, you're being too hard on them. I get, I am, I am. But it's to drive home the point. It's to drive home the point. Why is he in the rotation? Anyway, I'm, I, I, uh, last, last thought on the Warriors here. I'm getting worked up. One of the running jokes with me has always been, how many different ways can I find to trade Draymond Green? I've been trying to trade him for years. So I'm not sitting here acting like, well, I knew this all along. But Draymond is clearly the muse of this team, right? You hear the term floor raiser or ceiling raiser. He's the ultimate ceiling raiser. Not just for what he covers up on the court with his defense, but the accountability and communication he brings all the way through the roster. We're talking about this Jordan Poole situation, right? If there was a danger of losing him, who do you think would step in and say something to Steve and the staff? It'd be Draymond. I I, I go back to, it's not not the same story, but similar was, remember when we had JaVale and he wasn't really playing and it was Draymond that went to Kerr and was like, no, 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 like we got to play JaVale. We got to play JaVale. And towards the end of the year, the final 20 games, they started playing him. And then he ended up starting round one against the Spurs and had a huge impact all the way through. You know, for all the stuff that Draymond does that irritates me on and off the court, 
I'm here to say, man, we got to appreciate Draymond more than ever, right? You don't know what you got till it's gone. And this is, I believe, been the longest stint without Draymond in, in the Steph era. And you're just starting to see how much he helps throughout this organization. It's not just on the court basketball. It's his personality, his leadership, how much he helps the coaches and and how much I think he is responsible for the communication between everybody. Like there's a problem. And a lot of the time when I say communicate, it's things that aren't, that are left unsaid. And Draymond, we know he ain't afraid to say shit. He's going to be like, hey man, why ain't pool starting tonight? You, you know, like that type of stuff, man. And so we miss that gravely and hopefully, hopefully he's going to be back soon enough. I didn't dive into the voicemails because I had quite a few uh, messages for, for mailbag questions. Let me see if I can get to a couple of these here. Shy, who has been a tremendous supporter for, for a lot of years here on Patreon, he asked me this. He, you know, he said in, in, celebrating of, in the celebrating of the NBA 75 team during All-Star Weekend, I can't help but judge that some of the below 11 active players on this list are not fully qualified. Would you give us a list of current players to be included on the NBA 75 team? And, and, and Shai, he, he made a list that I was, it was pretty on point, right? I think the disconnect when we have these arguments with the top 75 is what is the priority of, of what you value for this list? So you've got winning, you've got numbers, and you've got impact. What order do you value that when you're making this list? Carmelo Anthony... His numbers, they can go up against anybody's, right? But he he never won anything. So that's the argument. Is Mello in there for, for his numbers, right? Dame, I think, is probably the most suspect of the active players on this list for me, right? Like, you leave Clay off this list and put on the dude that's, what, 0-12 against Clay in the playoffs? But again, I think you can tell what I value. For me, I value winning numbers and then impact. That's me. Um... Russ, obviously the triple-double thing, but I will say, you know, Russ's impact is way up there, right? He obviously, he's not, he's not a winner. He hasn't won it, but, uh, you know, he might have the greatest motor we've ever seen from a guard of all time, and, and, and he really ushered in the triple-double era. And so, like, Russ, you know, hate him or love him, he's a huge part of this generation in this era in the history of the sport. So I don't have a problem with Russ being on there. I think Giannis... It's early, but he's done everything. He's checked all the boxes. So Giannis has got to be in there. Chris Paul, no argument. You know, it's the resume. He's been to a finals now. Kawhi, Kawhi is an interesting one because I don't. I think if it weren't for the early Spurs stuff, you might have an argument to leave him out of there. But that, but you look at that resume with the Spurs stuff there, and and it's it's enough. It's fine. Um, and then Harden. The numbers are so prolific, I'm all right with it. Like, right, if you, you have to have one category that's super overwhelming if you're not checking the boxes and his numbers are crazy. So I think if I were to kick out two of the active guys on this list, it'd be Anthony Davis and Damian Lillard. I think those are the two guys that don't fit. And I'd add Clay because I'm biased, and uh, in either Kyrie or Dwight. Um, and so... You know, that's, that's, that's a big, long question that we could go into. I wanted to answer it for you because, again, you've supported me so well. But um, that, that's what I got for you. I had a segment. I, I forgot what I was going to call it where I talk about something else that's not basketball, but I don't remember what I called it, man. 
I got to get more organized, man. I, I can't even front to y'all. The season's been a long grind and I'm trying to charge the battery and get ready here to really punch it home for this playoffs and stuff like that. Um, I watched the Kanye doc on Netflix, Gene, yes. And watching it, man, I see a lot of similarities between Kanye and Tupac. I really do, man. Now, obviously, they had different upbringings. I'm not saying they're the same, but I think a lot of what made them special is the same, right? A relentless passion and grind and the courage to say whatever the fuck they wanted, right? They're cut from the same cloth. I just, I, I was surprised to, to see those similarities or those parallels, but that's what came to my mind. Watching Kanye's grind, it was just so inspiring. If if you've studied some of the famous self-help books over the years, a lot of them are very old, right? One of the universal theories is you should have no plan B, right? Because it only gets in the way of plan A. Don't give yourself an excuse. And I think Kanye in this documentary is just a great example of that. And it's also a lesson to a lot of these young cats, man, because I see a lot of young adults that talk about vibes and energies, and they kind of use that as an excuse not to grind. Why didn't you do that? Oh, I wasn't feeling the vibes. Those bad energy, I didn't want to do that, right? Newsflash, you're going to have to do things that you don't want to do to get to where you want to go. You can't just manifest it with positivity. You're going to have to grind. And Kanye's grind was also inspiring, and so I highly recommend it. My favorite part, one, was when he he was playing slow jam for Jamie Foxx. And as he's flowing to him with the beat, you could just see Jamie's face slowly light up like, this motherfucker a genius. This fool, this fool is nice. And then the other part was he's in the in the car with, with D-Ray, the com- the comedian from Chicago, right? And he's and he's playing through the wire. And after the first few bars, D-Ray is glancing over him like, nigga, I'm so proud of you. I can, I'm so proud of you. Like this shit is amazing. The other thing that you noticed was it was his beats that granted him access, right? He, he, it was by any means necessary. And his, his producing and beats is what really got his foot in the door and got him all those features. And his talent, his talent, I, I may be reaching, his talent is astonishing. Like he, he might be, I, you throw a goat, he's one of the goats, man. He's one of the goats. And one by one, you saw all these super talented people, Pharrell, Ludacris, all these guys, they get in the studio with him and kind of look at him like, my God, like what? Right? In amazement. And I think the other thing that was clear too was Rockefeller, Jay and Dame don't deserve any credit for his success. They were ignoring him. They were using him for his beats. He had to kick the fucking door down. And it got me to thinking it is what it is now. But I'll tell you one thing, say what you want about Puff. If he was under Puff's watch, it wouldn't have been such a fight to get what he wanted. Because we know he recognizes the talent. But, the, you know, you always hear the story of Dame and Jay putting Kanye on and Rockefeller. That, that doesn't seem like what it was. One thing that I think he valued that I'm not sure a lot of these new rappers do is he understood the power of environment. If you watched when he was recording and delivering his verses for the, for the college dropout, he, he had to have a specific environment. He, he understood the juice and the flow of the environment would affect the delivery and the sound of his voice. So I thought that that was dope, man. Um, I'm going to wrap this up. This pod's been kind of all over the place. I got an, a quick announcement for my patrons here. I will miss Saturday's Lakers-Warriors game breakdown. Now, if you've been rocking with me for a while, you know 
I've missed maybe one game. And the one game I did was when I went to the Warriors game with my daughter a couple years ago. I'll make it up for you, whether it's another game breakdown or I might just do some sort of live vlog after. But what's happening is my cousin is gifting me a little trip to Vegas. We're about to go see Kobe Covington, Jorge Masvidal. And so uh, we'll see how it goes. Maybe I'll do a little vlog and our live stuff. I'll be back Monday to cover, you know, that's the only game I'm going to miss, but I got to take advantage of this opportunity. I haven't, I haven't damn near left my bedroom since the pandemic. So I'm excited to get out and have a little bit of fun and then get back and, and hopefully have a long playoff run with our squad. I'll be back with this Wolves breakdown though in the morning. This is High Volume Shooter. I'm out, Joe.